All right, welcome to a Monday of Lacrosse Talk PM. I am Rick Solom. On the show today, coming up, an interview with Katrina Shanklin. She's one of now three Democrats running for the third U.S. House seat here, the third congressional district. One of three trying to run against Derek Van Orden, the Republican currently holding the seat. The other two are Rebecca Cook and Eric Wilson. So we're going to ask Katrina here in a little bit just about running now and coming to lacrosse. Not not a bad time to come to lacrosse. Tara Johnson, former lacrosse county board chair, just dropped out. So there's a big gap here, I think, uh, in this district where voters in lacrosse probably would have, you know, a lot of them, I think, would have probably voted for Tara Johnson. And now that she is about out of the race, she made that announcement late last week. Uh, about out of the race, so there's this big gap to fill the void, and which one of these three candidates is going to come to lacrosse and try to get these votes? There's no hometown candidate anymore. So Katrina Shanklin making the run for lacrosse right off right off the bat, the the Monday after Tara Johnson announces she is not running. Also, she Katrina is a state assembly rep. She represents the Stevens Point area, the 71st district, and uh, she's a Democrat there and been doing that for about a decade. And I, I want to kind of I, I, there's a there's a conversation here I want to have about the U.S. House of Representatives, but there's also a conversation I want to have about the state and what the state is doing and and not doing. I guess the assembly she's in the assembly. The assembly speaker came out last week with a medical marijuana bill. So let's get Katrina's um, take on medical marijuana, when, whether it comes to how Wisconsin is doing it and maybe how the U.S. Represent- House of Representatives should propose legislation. When it comes to medical marijuana, uh, the the bill that that came up in the Senate last week not going to pass. The Senate doesn't like it. There, it came up in the Assembly last week. It's not going to pass because the Senate doesn't like it. And I think the Senate doesn't like it for two completely kind of the opposite reasons. I read an article today that said some of the senators in Northern Wisconsin don't like it because the five state-run dispensaries, the medical marijuana dispensaries that are that are happening. They're not close enough to their districts in northern Wisconsin. These districts are huge, these Senate districts, because there's not the population isn't great, so the districts are, are pretty vast. And uh, people have to drive like an hour, hour and a half to get a state-run dispensary. And these people, the only people eligible to get medical marijuana in the state under this bill would be people that are severely ill. So now you have somebody who's severely ill, and they have to drive an hour and a half to get a prescription filled for medical marijuana and one of these state-run, government-run dispensaries. This is uh, probably not great. I, we, we probably need more of those. And on the, on the flip side, the Senate also doesn't want it to be state-run. Private business should run this. And I'm, I'm not so sure when it comes to uh, health care, if private business should be in charge of this, I would say that uh, we could have state-run dispensaries. If it's just going to be medical marijuana, then yeah. Have it be state run so that it's not a private corporation trying to make money on, uh, you know, gouging you on medical marijuana. If it's going to be recreational marijuana, that's a whole different take. And uh, then at, I'm at at that point, I'm I'm good. Then let private business run it, and we can tax it just like anything else because it's it's for fun, right? Recreational marijuana, you're just doing it recreational, like beer and cigarettes. Although cigarettes, come on. Um, also, I want to ask her. Uh, she's in her thirties, I believe. So should, uh, do we need a representative that age in Congress or more representation in their thirties, this younger generation, uh, to be in Congress? All three candidates, I believe are, are very young here on the democratic side and Derek Van Orden's in his fifties. So do we need uh, a younger, younger representatives in the U S house and 
maybe even especially the Senate. I don't think we're going to get that in Wisconsin with younger representatives. But the Senate's average age, the U.S. Senate is 64.3 years old. The average age in the U.S. House of Representatives is 58.4 years old. So uh, those are the th- kind of the three big things when it comes to uh, uh, what's going on in the state and what we could talk about with Katrina Shankland. Also, I, I did see some stories that Congress is talking about. They want to raise U S house of representatives and U S senators are talking about getting a raise. They make 170, I think senators make $174,000 a year. That might be the house salary as well. Um, and, and they want more money because they can be manipulated by lobbyists and big business because they don't make enough money, which is completely hilarious. If you don't think $174,000 is enough money, then whatever you're doing in your regular job or your lifestyle thing, just go do that. If you can be manipulated by private business or lured out of the house or the Senate by private business and lobbyists, because those jobs are more lucrative, then go take those jobs and let somebody else that, you know, sees $174,000 salary as awesome. And I would be willing to work for that as much as humanly possible I would be sacrificing my time to to make that kind of money. That's the kind of representation that we probably need in the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate because those people are going to be more like working class people that see $174,000 salary a little bit more on par with uh, a good salary and not one that, oh, I don't make enough and therefore I can be manipulated or, you know, um, it, the, also these these people, you know, they're in the stock market manipulating the stocks so that they can make a ton of money off that as well. So uh, maybe we should ban that. Katrina's probably in, in agreement with that. Anyway, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with Katrina Shanklin running for U.S. House of Representatives and current Wisconsin Assembly Rep in the Stevens Point area. We'll be back in a minute. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. I am Rick Solom. In the studio with me now is Katrina Shanklin. She is a state assembly rep representing the Stevens Point area. She's a Democrat out of the 71st district, but she's not going to be in a year, right? Like kind of like you're done in a year, almost exactly, because she is running for the U.S. House of Representatives. And she hopes that her job will be that being a U.S. House rep representing the third district that's currently held by Derek Van Orden. You're one of three running and I said before you before you came on here Tara Johnson's left the race Tara Johnson former first ever lacrosse county board chair first ever female I should say uh and and so there's a big gap here lacrosse is wide open any of you three candidates running can come get these votes they get, you got to get your name out here and you're the first person to jump on that is that that by intention hey oh Tara Johnson's out I got to come to lacrosse and get my name out there as fast as I can well I would say I've been on lacrosse a lot and continue to be I First of all, I love lacrosse and I love visiting. So thanks for having me. Yeah. I also think Tara Johnson is a trailblazer for her community and her region and really respect and admire her leadership. I will say throughout this race, I've heard so many great stories about the work that she's done, especially as it relates to recruiting and supporting candidates on pretty much every level of government. And I know that her commitment, not only to community, but to country runs deep and she'll continue to work together to ensure that we not only make Derek Van Orden a one-term 
congressman, but also, I hope, elect the first woman congresswoman to ever serve the people of the 3rd Congressional District. So. This just sounds like you're kissing Tara's butt so you can get an endorsement. You know, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just- I, here's what I'll say. I learned so much in lacrosse. I had a number of coffee meetings here and heard from folks from all over the district, whether they were educators and retired educators, whether, whether there were local labor members, um, whether they were folks who work at Gunderson and so much more. I heard from a lot of folks from the party as well. And I would say the one thing we all agree on is Derek Van Orden should be a one-term member of Congress and probably should have never gotten elected in the first place. And we're committed to making sure that doesn't happen again. And I think we're going to unite around the candidate who can win. And so I'm going to be here making my pitch over and over again. I'm the only candidate in this primary field who has won a general election. And I think that that's important when you look at incumbents um, and the power of incumbency. We know that a first-term member of Congress like Derek Van Orden is going to have a lot of dark money behind him. He's going to have the speaker prioritizing his race if he's doing, you know, quote unquote, the right things to get that attention. You say, I'll say, if he's doing his bidding, right? If he's doing Mike Johnson's bidding. Exactly. <laughs> well, and, people don't like Mike Johnson now because you know, he's working with the U.S. Senate. How crazy is the House? So I, I always I, I bring this up all the time in my show. We have you guys running, you three Democratic candidates, but do you pay attention with what's going on in the House or what's not absolutely. so much going on yeah, in the House? Yeah, I absolutely am. This is one of the least productive congressional sessions we have ever seen, and it's because House Republicans are obstructionists. And if... I need proof of that. Just ask Kevin McCarthy. And I think ask <laughs> ask the current speaker as well, because there are new threats there, too. Right. And um, I think when we are looking at funding the government, Republicans continue to be the problem. The fact that they continue to hold basic government funding of VA benefits, of Social Security and Medicare and federal employees paychecks all at risk in order to get their own way. I'm very concerned about it. It's why I'm running. I never thought in the year 2024, I would have to say part of why I'm running is because I believe that government should function. But that is how obstructionist House Republicans are and Senate Republicans um, that as a member of the state legislature who has gotten 179 bills passed into law. I have to call out my opponent, Derek Van Orden, for doing absolutely nothing. And he really needs to speak to the public about it. I want to challenge him to show up to some debates. He didn't last time. Brad Paff tried his darndest. And Derek Van Orden skirted all accountability and transparency. And that's not Brad's fault. That's Derek Van Orden's fault. He's a sitting member of Congress now. So I expect him to show up to debates. And I expect him to show up to public events and speak to his constituents about his positions and where he stands on, you know, not only funding the government, but the five-year farm bill. We talked about that the last time Mm -hmm. I was here, hearing from a lot of farmers who are very concerned about it especially related to dairy farming and CRP checks even. Just heard a story about that in Platteville the other day. So there's a lot of work that we have to do. And I am here to not only hold Derek Van Orden accountable, but also talk about what I have done in the legislature and how I'm going to take those problem-solving and consensus-building skills with me to Congress. And I think that my experience is what really sets me apart from the rest of the field. We're speaking with Katrina Shanklin. She's one of three Democrats running to go against Derek Van Orden. Rebecca Cook, Eric Wilson, the other two 
uh, in the primary that's coming up in a couple couple months. How many? When's the primary? It is April? in August, August, so we have August. some time. Yeah, it's we've weird, got to right? get through it's the weird, spring we, we were elections about that first on a podcast. The, that we have an August primary when we're all going to the polls in April. We should just have the primary in April, don't you think? You know, I think we are one of the states with the latest primaries in the country. And as yeah. I talk to folks about this race, they're like, wow, there's so much time before August. So what I'll say is this, I'm focused on the general, right? I think that my experience not only beating Republicans on uh, when my name is on the ballot against them, but also getting things done is what makes me not only stand apart in the primary, but in the general. When we talk about the U.S. House, you were break- you kind of brought it up, but we could. I The House and the Senate are negotiating right now to fund the government partially. And kind of like kick the can again, like, but the, the, we could have a government shutdown still. And the reason why is because the house is working with the democratic led Senate and the Republicans in the house don't like that. It seems really weird that, oh no, you can't work with the house and therefore we should shut the government down because you can't negotiate across the aisle with the other party. They are disappointingly using people's lives as bargaining chips. And that is inexcusable at all times. So I'm very concerned about the precedent that they've set. I think we saw this um, over, let's see, almost two decades ago um, when they first started really using divided government to not only pursue their agenda that is a little bit too radical for the average person, but that also puts our veterans benefits, our our seniors benefits, our federal employees paychecks at great risk, as well as farmers. And I think when it comes to putting the people of Wisconsin first, there will never be a question about my record, but I have major and sincere questions about Derek Van Oren's record. And I will continue to ask those. And he was in Portage County speaking to my local county board last month. And I showed up and um, talked to him a little bit. It was the first chance I had to meet him and asked him if he was going to debate me. And I noticed that he didn't answer. So here I am. I'm going to keep saying it. He needs to debate me and I'm going to keep calling for it because a sitting member of Congress should have nothing to lose by showing up to any forum that is hosted by any kind of nonpartisan entity. We could get the League of Women Voters to do it, for example. They do great work and are well-regarded and respected. But I do think that's one of the things I've heard the most over the last few months on the campaign trail, whether I was in Black River Falls or Stevens Point in Wisconsin Rapids or Platteville or Chippewa Falls, La Crosse or Eau Claire, people are asking, how are you going to get Derek Van Orden to debate you? And um, my answer is, I'm not going to stop saying he needs to debate me and we're yeah. going to we're going to make it happen. And his excuse was the, the media is biased or whoever hosts it is biased and therefore he wouldn't feel like it's a fair a fair fight, so to speak, or the questions would be fair, which is funny because then, you know, the debate, the last did, did he think the debate with Ron Kine, which was was that not a fair debate? Because I feel like it was. I I, I don't know. Um, yeah, that'll be interesting. It's so far down the road, too. Um, what what do you see your priorities in the, you know, like if you were a House member right now, uh, you know, like it's obviously you would be in the minority. But what should the House be doing right now? Yeah. So I think first and foremost, we need to tackle the long term issues facing this country. And I see a lot of Republicans um, complain about they'll, you know, they'll they'll complain about, quote unquote, Bidenomics. But I notice that at the end of the day, they're not sitting down solving our workforce shortage. They're not talking about um, pocketbook issues other than to really just lambast our president. And I expect all of us, if you're a member of Congress taking a huge paycheck and flying out to D.C. every week, you should be working. You shouldn't be on Twitter or X, as they call it now, um, 
lambasting constituents. And, you could just call it Twitter. It's yeah. Fine. And writing like nasty notes to folks like our current congressman is. And so I would want to have um, long term discussions about not only the farm bill, which would be my number one priority. I think the farmers of Wisconsin and the people who rely on them for quality food and local food would agree with me. We absolutely have to do more there. I also think as it relates to funding our government, we need a long term solution that doesn't rely on these short term continued resolutions. And it's really um, the Republicans in the House who are pretty much part of the far right who are throwing fits about it and and trying to insert their ideological agenda when the majority of Americans, regardless of party or if they vote, would think that that's not only infantile behavior, but unbecoming of Congress. And so I think one thing that people are talking about a lot is comprehensive immigration reform. And I'll tell you, as a state legislator who works with a lot of farmers, um, that is something that we need to talk about more is, um, you know, once again, we're seeing some discussion about the border, but we're not seeing real long-term thoughtful ways to um, talk about the workforce issues that our state has and look at comprehensive immigration reform that works for employers such as our dairy farmers. And I think making the work visas more accessible is just one idea. There are some bipartisan bills in the um, in Congress right now that could be moved. But I also think healthcare affordability is another one that impacts everyone just about equally. I haven't met a single person who doesn't have a personal healthcare story who wants us to work together on making the cost of prescription drugs more affordable and cracking down on price gouging and also making sure that um, everyone has access, regardless of zip code, to high quality and affordable health care. And those two things shouldn't be uh, exclusive ever. But I'm hearing lots of health care stories along the campaign trail. So while I'm watching people like Derek Van Orden talk about issues like the economy and the border, I've noticed that he has offered no solutions. And meanwhile, I am talking to constituents as well as folks across the district about their ideas to solve the workforce shortage. They're talking about speeding up the work visa program. They're talking about making sure that we're cracking down on price gouging from corporations that are artificially raising the prices of common goods, especially groceries and blaming inflation, but it's actually just price gouging. And those are all things that we can fix in a bipartisan way and that we have a responsibility to. Yeah. You just need to bring down the price of potato chips. So if that, if that happens and everything else will fall into place, I believe $5 a bag for potato chips is ridiculous. And the bags are smaller and they got more air in them. Um, you're in the state assembly. Robin Voss last week proposed the medical marijuana bill. I kind of talked about it before you came on. Um, what I call a socialist run, government run uh, medical marijuana bill. Like it's it's government run. I don't really have a problem with it, except who is eligible and, and how many dispensaries there are. If we're only going to do medical marijuana, those are my problems. What do you think of the bill? I would say, first and foremost, I was surprised that they're requiring that only government-run dispensaries. I think that's the opposite of a free market solution, and I would prefer and support um, more options, including more options for business owners, and especially want to make sure there's preference for local farmers as it relates to medical marijuana. That being said, I don't think the perfect should ever be the enemy of the good. I'm a pragmatic person who wants to build consensus. So I've already talked to folks um, in the legislature in both houses about this bill. I also um, did some press recently in talked publicly about a bill that I helped introduce in 2019 that was bipartisan. And that bill expanded the definition of eligibility for medical marijuana and didn't mandate government dispensaries. So I think that could get past the Senate. The Senate Republican leader has already essentially killed mm -hmm. um, the Speaker Voss's bill in the Senate. And if we want a bill to become law, it has to go through both chambers. So I've already talked to some Senate Republicans and said, why don't we, re why don't we reintroduce 
our bipartisan 2019 bill that expanded the eligibility and qualifications for medical marijuana. I think most significantly, um, there was really good language in there related to chronic pain and um, symptoms instead of just medical conditions. Yeah. And we're hearing from a lot so of folks about yeah, expand that. Expand the eligibility. What exactly. about like the, the way people get it? I think, you know, here's the deal. I have supported not only um, more, stri- more, I should say, open medical marijuana legalization bills, but decriminalization bills and more. And so I am going to be on the side of wanting to open it up more and more. Absolutely. When it comes to medical marijuana, I want to make sure um, that veterans have access to it. I want to make sure that people um, with chronic pain have access to it. But that being said, I'm also staying very open-minded because this is a critical opportunity for us. And if we have the opportunity to get something done the session, I absolutely think we should move something forward immediately because people across Wisconsin can't afford to wait and they can already get it surrounding us. We're an island here in Wisconsin. so Yeah, we've we got it get... made here. We just go across the Mississippi to Minnesota. Yeah. It's recreationally there legal there. So We need to get it done. <laughs> and if we can help Wisconsin businesses and farmers in the same um, time at the same time that we help people who are really suffering with critical um, pain and chronic conditions as well as terminal illnesses, I think that's exactly what we need to do. Is it stupid that we just go medical? Because couldn't the state make, I don't know, do you ever figure out how much the state could make? You got a minute and a half. Yeah, uh, we're, If we just recreational marijuana, would we have a giant a bill, little, more billions in surplus? A little over $200 million per biennium was the last estimate. But that being said, that was before Wisconsin became a total island. So mm-hmm. I imagine that number has changed. That being said, we've got to get something done. Um, we've already gotten some major things done this session on shared revenue, helping local governments get the money they need to fund their local police, EMS, and fire departments, for example, and repair their roads. This is another thing that we really need to come together on and find a solution that is workable, that we can build on, because I would hate to see us end the session without getting anything done on medical marijuana. All right, one minute, literally. Uh, if If you're in the House, could, could we just pass where recreational marijuana is legal across the country and then we don't, wouldn't have to think about any of this? At the U.S. House level, absolutely. But I would also say we need to work on a banking solution because right now, if it's not descheduled and if we don't have um, banking certainty, there, that's still an issue across states that have legalized. What, is bank, so, what do you mean banking? So, um, Without die, killing our, our ears. Yeah. So essentially, <laughs> uh, there are some people who are having a hard time banking who are in legal marijuana states. And so we really need to clarify the law on that because of how it is how cannabis is scheduled right now. Oh, okay. Well, I did did see the FDA just said. Yes, and they're working on it. And so I would say what I would like to see is statutory clarity just so that no business owner ever has to worry again. Um, But it's a very positive executive agency um, action. And I would say, you know, in general, if we can ever accomplish big things on the federal level so that states don't have to painstakingly go slower, then Mm -hmm. if it's positive and overwhelmingly the people of this country support it and it provides a good baseline for states to improve upon, then we should do it. That's Katrina Shanklin. She is running for the third congressional district, the third U.S. House district, district here in La Crosse and, well, Stevens Point, Eau Claire, and everywhere there's a UW school in the area. Uh, one of three Democrats to do that. Thanks, Katrina. Thank you so much for having me. Look forward to being back. All right, we're going to wrap up when we come back.